0: Hey there, film fans! I'm Jeff. I'm Dave, and I'm John. And welcome back to the Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye.
1: That's right. And to avoid lazy negativity, to try to keep us positive here on the Love of Cinema, we've decided love. to make this we decided to make <laughs> this episode a drinking game. Well, that explains this. So, <laughs> Dave's holding a shot for our uh, listeners. It's like so gags on a podcast. Anytime we say anything negative, anything negative at all, we're going to play this sound. Mm. That buzzer means that we have to take a real live actual drink, and we hope you drink along with us. So, pour yourselves a glass, or as I found out this weekend, fill up your
2: bathtub. Cheers. <laughs> Jesus. Mm. I oh. I I, I I. must explain that quickly. I, I, had, uh, I experienced some wonderful North Carolina uh, like hospitality yeah. this week,
0: yeah. And, uh,
2: yeah. It was great, and uh, yeah, I had uh, some people. Granted, a lot of people actually listened to the show, and mm-hmm. yeah, one of them did share with me that they they listened to our show in the tub. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> do they drink along with us? Because I love wine in a tub. I'm I know, a right? Wine tub drinker. Just yeah, put cool, your floaties on. pull yourself a glass. Was put it? your what floaties
2: you? on. I am not gonna say. I think but it was yeah. my aunt to be. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. <laughs> aunt uh, to be. Yeah. Please, please make sure you're wearing your floaties. All right. Yeah, All right, folks. Safe. We are recording this.
1: <laughs> we are recording this episode on December 19th. This is our final episode of the year 2023. So we've got three mini reviews of new films that came out and Dave is keeping us on a 4-minute time limit. So we're going to give you a 4-minute quick little spoiler-free review of three new movies that came out and then we're going to be jumping into our featured segment which is films from the year 1970. Give you a little context both in Hollywood and cinema and in the world of what was going on in 1970. And then we're gonna pick our featured film for this conversation, which is gonna be Bernardo Bertolucci's The Conformist. The, and, the as Conformist. The Conformist. Dave, see, the drinks are real. They're so real that Dave decided on our social media to put up this beautiful banner of a, of a <laughs> movie marquee and it said, The Rear Window. I still don't know why I typed (laughs) it. I have no idea what happened there. It was so good. Dave, there you go for that. But yeah, so... Dude, Man and Mark Mark Show was onto it, man. They came at us real hard, like within 24 hours. Bastards. So that's right. The random year generator that we've been spinning to send us into a random year. We've done some 50s. We've done some recent films in the 2000s, but we're going to talk about The Conformist in 1970. But yes, we got some mini reviews to get to. So, yeah. And
0: just... Because I know some people might think be thinking, "Where's the end of the year wrap up?" I think what we have usually done, and what we're definitely going to be doing this year since we're not doing it this episode, is we'll wait until we get closer to the the guild, the Oscar, the all those yeah. awards, and because we'll, everyone knows that a lot of great movies are still coming out, and we we really don't count the end of the movie year until the Oscars air. Until yeah. we finish that also, final award ceremony. Yeah, actually also, actually we, we sorry, have
2: prepared an end of year roundup. It's it's a playlist that contains all the shows we did this year. Feel free to go back and listen to them on YouTube.
1: Yes, check out our link tree. Oh my God, yeah, yeah, yeah. thanks, Dave. Yeah, a friend of mine, as I told both of you off um, off air, a friend of mine um, is on the SAG nominating committee. So for everybody out there, um, the nominating committee is a select group of um, members who you have to apply to be in, and they try to give you know uh, different ages and different backgrounds, and different you know um, you know some commercial actors, TV etc. within the guild to essentially watch all of these films being pushed with all the screeners, and then they're going to narrow it down to a short list, and that's where the rest of the members. So that way, you know, if you're not gonna get any nominations, you don't need to send something out to 30,000 people. But also, it's just too much to ask. Let's say somebody's filming in December. Like, they can't possibly watch all of these screeners in December. And it's such a big undertaking that you can't do it again for three years. And the onslaught of screeners that Carl has gotten in this past month, because sometimes they're good and they give them to you in advance. But this year, because the strike ended essentially at Thanksgiving, and then it wasn't even signed until December, but everybody, the television schedule is set for all of these fucking award shows. It is an on. it would be, it's impossible. We can't we're, We can't possibly see all these movies, even though we're in LA and New York. Well, you're not anymore, John, but theoretically we could go see a lot like Ferrari and, and a lot of these movies that are in limited release, but no, like we just can't do it this year. So and that,
2: that, that comes from a podcast that used to do five movies
0: a week. Like it's yeah, we impossible, have, it's impossible. We had to watch like three now, movies will, that were- We will see all year. these movies but we Mm -hmm. probably won't be able to see them in their proper theatrical limited releases before then. Actually,
2: you you may know the answer to this because I know, like, SAG sends out screeners. I was talking to someone the other day from another union that also gets sent screeners. And apparently with Oppenheimer, they didn't send out a screener. Mm -hmm. They sent out the 4K Blu-ray.
1: Oh, yes, you did show that. Oh, I just bought a new, or I got as a gift. (laughs) Thank you, Dad. uh, A new Blu-ray player. And oh, I want to see it. I want to see it again. God damn Guys, it, so much I've been to thinking
0: think. long and hard over, after our conversation a few weeks ago, is it time to start building my massive DVD collection? Do I need to get the Blu-ray player? Should we start right. getting hard, tangible media back into our lives? Maybe. Right. Chris Nolan is starting it.
2: Even, even well, I'm thinking go. about it, dude, it's like, you know, Sony uh, Sony was that warning cry.
1: Well, I'm keeping honestly, Angela's. Honestly. Angela, Angela's screeners are staying in the
0: family forever, for sure. Not leaving the house, <laughs> not leaving the apartment guild, but... Um, Do they come in, like, cool, um, like... D, you know, boxes or DVD covers or things like that, yeah. or is it... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, do, do you have the option to get digital or tangible screeners? Because I thought they just sent links for
1: for some I people think, if they want to just stream it. I think it depends on the producers, because I think the okay. producers sometimes want yeah. you to see it and touch it and feel it. Um, but sometimes they just want to yeah, save money by do. sending... It.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but sometimes, yeah. sometimes they just want to send out the link. Um, Cost more but money,
0: yes. obviously, but sure. Awesome,
1: but they want awesome. to push it. Um, so anyway, we're going to do our mini-reviews now here. If you want to just skip ahead because you saw in the title that we're going to be talking about a Bertolucci for the first time on the show. We're going to be doing The Ooh. Conformist, which is so good. Oh, I can't wait to talk oh, about this with oh, you. Oh, oh, Check oh. the show notes. We are very serious about the show notes. Check the timestamp. Skip ahead. It's your prerogative. But we're going to get into our mini-reviews. Although, Dave, I don't believe you have a mini-review. So do you want to gripe or anything at some I point? I have a this? gripe. Do you want to do it now or yeah, do you want right. to stack? Because I traveled you traveled okay cool I have some grapes but I'll save, for the, I'll save my grapes for the new years Dave you know what it. I'm
2: gonna try and squeeze two in
1: one
0: what is it with airports am I, you know, am I right
2: oh, okay, okay look you know, you know what I, <laughs> I just want to say like I I, I stopped in at uh, a couple of airports this weekend and if you these, they have these wonderful new things with a power um, supply and a USB charging thing if you're gonna put those in your airport please fucking maintain them because oh, there's yeah. nothing worse work, than going there. hey they've They're got charging show. no nothing but every, mm-hmm. everyone else but the row I was sitting in had the fucking things. The ones on the plane, make sure they work. Please, somebody, just make sure they work if you're going to put them in. And It'll also, while we're on the same subject, I'm going to talk about Lyft at LaGuardia Airport because they are oh, dropping yeah, the bad. fucking ball, man. We mm-hmm. This is the second time in a row I've come in and I've ordered a Lyft to try and get home. And because I live like eight minutes from LaGuardia, it's easy. You just get a car, off you go. Now what those Lyft guys don't want to take a ride that's eight, like eight minutes away because they lose their place in the queue i get it but don't take my fucking ride leave me standing there for six minutes then cancel it then I have to wait seven minutes for someone else to take the fucking ride in the cold in december in mm-hmm. winter oh, yeah. fuck you get lift get your shit together
1: yeah and mm-hmm. uber does the same shit by the way so i don't know what it is because i think uber used to like penalize you if you canceled a bunch of times but i got canceled on like four times in a row once and dude, yeah, like, wait a second do they get canceled Ugh.
2: he was so close too and they're like, we're finding you another driver. I'm like, I don't want another fucking driver. I want
0: that one. That used to happen a lot. I remember when I first moved there before the the services were pretty good and going up to a yellow cabbie. Because they have to take you, right? You're in this big yeah. line. Yeah, just be like, where we New all York to? City and thing. And they like, just going down the road to Astoria. And they're like, God, fucking damn. You just hear them like cursing yeah. under their breath.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, that used to be getting home. You would have to get in the car before you would tell them where you are going. Because yeah. if you were in Astoria, yeah. they didn't feel like yeah. going
2: I get it but just don't take the ride you have the they have the right. choice don't make me stand there for five minutes
1: if you're a waiter you get that last table and they're there for an hour you got to sit with them you know if you're a cab driver and this is the ride you get you got to get it you know that's just what you got to do anyway
0: no, that's ride. Gotta get right i squeeze right. two in
2: i squeeze two in
1: 60 right. seconds so i saw two john we saw one together Cats in the bathtub <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are you
2: talking about what the fuck <laughs> Look it up. You're welcome. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, should I look? Is it something I shouldn't look up on corporate Wi-Fi or like?
1: <laughs> don't talk about your corporate Wi-Fi. Okay, <laughs> yeah. you're freelance, right? Lance, right? <laughs> um, let's start. Yeah, like with keep them. John, why don't we start with Godzilla plus one, which you saw? We're a week or two past, sure, yeah. but it's gonna. I think it's gonna stream well, so hit it.
0: it minus one. Oh, well, fuck, it, who cares? It is Godzilla uh, minus one, and I, I just. Oh, I mean, you guys Jeff can't me, do you math. <laughs> I know you give uh, Here we go. It is Takashi uh, Yamazaki. He is the director of this. Now, I think I already mentioned that people were telling me, my brother and a few other people just kind of randomly were like, oh, have you seen this yet? You know, they, I get texts from people whenever they see movies. Um, all right, here's the mini review that I think is is why people should go see it. And if you can't see it in the theater, I think, I think you're still going to be surprised wherever you watch it. This is basically... It's the, old, it's the same company that originally made the old Godzillas, so much so that they own the library, which means they own the old sound effects and they own all the music. Oh, so there's a lot of wow. things that are gonna feel nostalgic. What is not nostalgic is the way it's filmed and the way it's shot. It is basically like a grounded World War II, post-Japan, Tokyo, post firebombing rubble, it's the city after all the shit has hit the fan, and it's the Japanese culture and country torn apart and living in conflict of what the war meant to them, how they move past it, the new symbolism of the of this fear of nuclear powers and nuclear war surrounding them, and then it just happens to have this monster catalyst obstacle of Godzilla, like it feels like it's this grounded like period drama. That's almost. some of the.
2: Best ways you can do this stuff.
0: Mm. It really, really works. So of course there's CGI, you know, whenever he shows up in BFX and everything, of course it's there. But there are so many practically shot scenes with adults speaking to each other about their post-war trauma, their inner conflict, how they move forward as Japanese people. And then the symbolism is just staring you right in the face, but it works. It doesn't it doesn't feel that way. Um, without giving away too much, the way they use Godzilla and introduce it her him whatever is still going way back it's like they reset the clock so it's a myth again it's not in the world where he's existed before uh which is yeah. fun you get to rediscover Just for the
2: record i think godzilla's preferred pronouns are oh fuck it's godzilla
0: <laughs> oh fuck, it's godzilla sure, sure, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Uh, and um the, the way they grow the creature and the powers it's kind of re-establishing what the radiation and you know the all the fallout kind of did to this creature so they kind of separate in terms of mythology and then that mythological being being affected by the radiation, which is cool. And then there's some really gorgeous, again, I don't want to say too much, but the way Godzilla's powers are used are very clearly representative of nuclear bombs. And it hmm. lands Wow! without, pardon the pun. The power of the looks on these people's faces, seeing that kind of destruction again, you know, months after the, it's, it, it was surprising i was i was, I was genuinely surprised Great. at how how good this movie is uh and not not because of it's just because it took itself really seriously i think people should go see it you probably haven't seen a japanese movie that's kind of like a bigger japanese movie like this in a while i think this is a really good representation i, I would say go see it for sure it's it's nice. funny i
2: actually had a you know how tiktok sometimes i put clips of stuff up on i actually had one of those pop up on the tiktok feed and mm-hmm. uh i was i was like watching it and in two seconds it had me captivated <laughs> And then my wife yeah. just ran it, like came in and staged an intervention. She's like, "Turn that off, because it's either mm-hmm. going to be, it's either going to be pointless and piss you off, or it's going to have spoilers and piss you off. So stop watching that right now." So yeah, I lucky. I'm pretty sure it was heading for a
0: spoiler. Um, it was so, awesome, I'm And anyone who's a fan I of like the Gareth Edwards, you know, the reroots that they've done recently, you know, I, I like those too. They're In the right headspace, they're fun. Um, this is so different than that that you can still enjoy both. There's, you're, no one's going to be comparing them. I think Yeah, cool. Check it out. Check it out. Beautiful. All
1: right. So now we got two Netflix movies coming up here that you can stream right this very second, unlike Godzilla Minus One. so I'll I'll start first. I'll do my Leave the World Behind, which I know both of you said you want to see. Yeah. Uh, yes. This is the Sam so Esmail film. Serious spoiler-free review. Yeah. So Sam Esmail, who is probably best known right, as the creator you. of Mr. Robot, before signing an enormous contract, I believe, with Paramount to help produce and write and and deliver content, including and Homecoming, went straight which straight to Amazon Netflix. Prime. Yeah. 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 Well, this I, I believe is. I, I don't know. if This is. Is this Paramount? I, what, I don't yeah. I think this is probably a different.
2: He went straight to Netflix because he program. wanted his stuff to screen in HD.
1: Well, <laughs> anyway, he also did this film, Comet. Anyway, uh, he's married to Emmy Rossum, too, which is probably the, the greatest part of his um, legacy, I think. And anyway, so he has been working with Julie Roberts a bit, including Homecoming, but he read this book called Leave the World Behind. He made a little bit of habitation to it. Mm-hmm. And the general piss, it's not too different from like a Black Mirror type thing where uh, a hack leads to complete chaos and disorder. Uh, while a Manhattan family is in an Airbnb, essentially, in Long Island, this family is, of course, Ethan Hawke, and julia roberts are the parents and their two kids who are teenagers um and yeah they're basically in long island and the power goes out cable everything is gone they have no idea what's going on it sounds like something apocalyptic is happening is it other countries at war with them um is it um you know is are they rogue agents who did this hack and just how bad it is and they're just basically lost so it is kind of cool that you're out in the wilderness with these folk um, with these folks while this happens. I actually think the best, and not even more than the trailer, the best pitch for this is just a little scene that Netflix does when you just kind of like linger on it and it just starts playing a scene as the trailer. And it's just a scene where they're on the beach on Long Island and you see this giant like freighter mm. coming towards the beach. And they're mm. basically like, I don't think that ship's stopping. And it gives you that kind of Jurassic Park, you know, too vibe. I think I turned that function off on mine. You can do that?
0: Yeah. You can do that?
1: Oh my god. Anyway, um the re- they can anyway, it. A- anyway, I it's I'm saying all of this, this is all story stuff, but it's very captivating. It's a really good idea and it's hard to it's hard to like look away. It's hard to take your eye off the ball while this is happening. I think he does a really good job with that. I think my thing with Sam, which he did really well with Mr. Robot, is sometimes I feel like I'm reading the screenplay. I'm not saying I had subtitles on, but I'm just kind of like this sounds like somebody that reads screenplays for a living. You know what I mean? There is that little bit of an element of like maybe this person watches too many movies. Um, and so it's just it's not it's not like people don't talk that way, but it's just kind of like it's a little too filmy in the in the language. However, <laughs> I think this is a good watch with somebody else because some people are gonna want more action. Some people are gonna want more story, they're gonna want more information, they're gonna want more chaos, more apocalypse, more this, more that. And um I think he thread that needle really well of keeping you incredibly compelled. But also, not overplaying any one element of this movie. So, I think it's pretty entertaining. Mm. Cool.
0: Nice,
1: nice. Dude. All right, so our final one is gonna be May, December, which we'll be talking about a lot with the Oscars, I know. This Mega is also mini reviews. Streaming. <laughs> this is, of course, Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman, um, where Natalie Portman is playing Julianne Moore's character, uh, a mom who uh, fell in love with her seventh grade student, went to jail apparently carried his child while she was in jail, and they ended up getting married and living together. I He's about 30, she's about chicken. 50. And um, so Natalie Portman spends a week with her uh, to kind of watch and observe her family. John, what did you think of May, December?
0: I thought it's, it's a Todd Haynes film. Uh, it feels like a Todd Haynes film. Um, I think before we talk about like the actual movie itself, and I mean this with only mm-hmm. positive, uh, uh, a po- positive perspective, this is the kind of movie that, for a long time, for the past like ten or fifteen years, had a lot of trouble being made and released. It's a smaller budget. There are some recognizable faces, but it's not a change-your-life kind of movie. It's not this gigantic, commercial, big, you know, gi- wide audience appeal kind of thing. And these are the kind of movies that I think I've missed seeing. So if I know he's Todd Haynes, he's he's somebody who's known. But if the streamers are going to start creating space for more uh, a niche, uh, smaller demographic like kind of content. Then bring it on. I'm happy. I don't think this movie uh, is for everybody, stylistically, or subject matter, or storytelling and style and blah, blah blah all the things. But I know that this is exactly the kind of movie that some people are probably going to really respond to. It's it's a melodrama. Yeah. yeah. It has a rem. It's reminiscent of some older classic filmmakers that he's super inspired by, like Douglas Sirk. Um, there's a a there's a way that they speak to each other, like a style in the language and in the writing here that kind of different than what you were probably saying with Sam, feels like really intentional and in terms of like, it's supposed to be affected. And mm-hmm. the fact that there's a, literally a storyteller, an actor in the bunch kind of gives it this performative edge that really lends itself to, to the melodrama, to that kind of form. Um, I also just, I don't feel like I was, I was never, in a, in a, in a, again, in an interesting way, I was never overwhelmed emotionally, even though this is a really taboo subject. Uh, right. It felt no, like no it way. was a, almost like a pedestrian, like a very casual nature to the storytelling. So, that in contrast to that melodramatic style, kind of gave it this really unusual. I, I can't, don't, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie like this. This set in like modern times. Um, so, I thought it was really fascinating. I'm really glad I got to see it. And I hope that they start greenlighting more pieces like this, because this story belonged in that time period, in that uh, length, that runtime. I mean, was, if was there a reason for Todd this story Hanks, to be told? Uh, just because an artist wanted to tell it. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, yeah, and I just, I'm, just,
2: I'm just trying to find it hard to reconcile the subject matter with like oh, well, should, um, should, it, should um, that have been highlighted pearls,
0: you little yeah dave know what I mean yeah like, i'm buzzing dave i'm buzzing dave on the this fuck yeah it, dude who fucking cares about you? but to your point i'm glad that i'm glad that <laughs> it needed to exist in this little in this short runtime. if they had sat down yeah. with him and he was unknown they would have been like great can you stretch it into a miniseries and like it, it wasn't supposed to be that no you're in you're out it's the story, I mean, we know what it is, we get there, we watch these characters, we're out of it, it washes over you with its style and you can go on with your life. And i an hour 57, thinking yeah. about it. Well, yeah, but and also- it's the two hours.
1: And also that, um, you know, wh- wh- where do you where do you cut it off? You know what I mean? Because you, when you do episodes, you have to have well, a beginning middle, and end Usually 17,
2: they're not legal before then. <sighs> Day, mm, Jesus
1: man.
0: Christ uh,
1: although there was a really good scene where they're <laughs> casting the boy, and obviously Natalie Portman's basically like he's not attractive enough because like the, the the mom has to you know anyway it's it's a really interesting way they do it I agree what do you think John about the way it looks it looks very like it was shot on film in like the early two thousands like it almost looks like a Dawson's Creek or like a not even Desperate Housewives it, it has like this matte kind of look to it. Mm -hmm. um that i feel like every movie now just almost looks too clean almost looks too pretty and too clear you know this didn't Mm -hmm. i feel like this had a haze over it which which also added this little extra element with that melodramatic music that almost felt like the californians
0: music was about to cut on soon. absolutely dude no i completely agree it almost it literally almost had that um what's that optical um you know what they used to put on day for like old movie stars jesus christ what can i remember just to make it yeah diffusion really yeah yeah white diffusion Um, usually
2: for for that melty skin tone kind of style. like the
0: starlets
2: yeah, yeah yeah, to make them look yeah.
0: really soft around the edges and like if you it, couldn't afford yes, those yeah. those
2: 500 filters it
1: was vaseline on the lens
0: <laughs> you, know what, <laughs> sure, sure. You, you know what else great todd, todd haynes said
1: something really good too where um natalie portman shows up at this house that's sort of like how this gets kicked off um we don't know much about natalie portman playing julianne moore like we get way more information about julianne moore and we don't really know what because you would think that natalie portman would be our in even though she's the actress and she's observing and all that kind of stuff she, there's no judgment but there's also no her like who the character is we get it very slowly over time with some some phone calls um and some things in private moments but for the most part it's really interesting that they're clearly being careful with one another while also trying to be revealing and there's this tension between them and i don't really know what but natalie portman I don't know what she thinks or feels, which is not her job as the actor, I'll repeat. But anyway, it's just really fascinating the way they did that.
0: Well, in a way, it was kind of fun because it successfully going, like exactly what you're saying, I feel like it kind of Dave, what you were saying. And I think what everyone's thinking, what the fuck is up with that subject matter? And what the fuck is up with this angle of our protagonist being someone who's trying to find empathy within it? It ends up kind of deconstructing both of those things so that by the end of it, you very gently are kind of like, I'm not really sure whose side i'm on anymore how i feel about this um this uh this issue and only because of the the distance that julianne moore and the young man she's married with kind of go to and confronting the past a little bit without giving too much away um this it's it's good man it's good again i don't know if it's going to knock anybody's socks off it's not that kind of movie. It's not supposed to be. Mm, no. It definitely doesn't hit you in the gut. It doesn't exploit the taboo of it. So you're not like on the edge of your seat all the time. It's very no. casual, but it there was something very, very effective about it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else. To say.
1: I mean, but yeah, we should be clear. You're also very aware that 13's too young. <laughs> this isn't of like. Of course. This isn't like. Seventeen and twenty-two, like the the young history teacher and the student, which is not okay. I'm not saying it's okay, but this is very clearly a middle-aged, a, well, woman. I remember and when this happened.
0: Like yeah. I remember when right. it was in the tabloids and everything. This is very, very popular in America, and it didn't happen too far away from from when my state. Like it got covered. A lot. I remember all about this. Thirty Rock does a real funny spin on this with uh, Susan Sarandon and um, the Judah uh judah friedlander <laughs> yeah yeah and they have yeah. real, like i've heard this take has been taken so many times. anyway anyway it was good i think you guys should, i think anyone who is a, a real movie watcher a real movie lover you're not you don't if you don't take a chance on movies all the time you might be like i don't know if that yeah. was a crazy gripping yeah. enough story for me to have taken two hours but uh, first first of all fuck that start watching movies again but if you love movies i think it's worth sitting down and just just watch
1: yeah I also I want to make one tiny update to leave the world behind, which is important, which is Mahershala Ali's character and his daughter show up at the house that uh, Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke's character are at. So there is tension among the. It's not just the family that adds some. Who are mm. they? Who do you trust? There is that element in there too. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't ignore that because that's cool. That.
2: All right. Okay. We should oh, get man, into this
1: film. All right. We'll do our next segment 1970 the year what was going on and then our featured conversation about the Conformists. you ready to rock
0: yeah let's rock
1: let's fucking go so 1970 what is the highest grossing movie according to both wikipedia and the numbers so the two most important sites in the world of course what is the highest grossing movie from 1970
0: the highest Uh,
2: grossing movie i don't don't know i was drunk when we looked at the list
1: (laughs) i'm gonna (laughs) guess that's the list i'm gonna go (laughs) love story Love Story is number one. The Love Story. Hey, John nice. nailed it. The Love Story. Aww. <laughs> um, number two was Airport, which is. Um, that was going to be my second guess.
0: Yes, yep. fuck it. Yeah. The Airport, <laughs> which is
1: credited as in, um, sort of inventing or creating or popularizing the disaster movie genre and won Helen Hayes an Oscar for a supporting actress. That's right. Patton comes in at number four, right behind MASH. At number three, Robert Altman's *Mash*. So huge movies here. You got *Woodstock* here at number five. This is two years after the famous festival. You've Got *Little Big Man* at number six. *Tora Tora Tora* at number seven. *Ryan's Daughter* at eight. *Catch 22* at nine. And *The Owl and the Pussycat*. *Catch 22* is of course a Mike Nichols film. Depending, some lists will have the *Aristocats* in there which is cool. Um, George Seaton, of course, directed Airplane. In history, it tends to be remembered for the year that George Lucas directed THX 1138, which made $5,000 total, according to the numbers. You know, a big success. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was also a big hit this year. Um, Cassavetes had a great film called Husbands with Peter Falk that John probably saw. Uh, and other big things that happened in <laughs> movies. Trog, <laughs> the horror film Trog with Joan Crawford opened in theaters. Uh, and the Three Stooges, Larry from the Three Stooges had a stroke all but ending his career and sort of putting a, 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 you know, a, a punctuation know the end of the Three Stooges. <laughs> 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 IMAX motion picture projection system premieres in the Osaka Expo 70. Uh, oh, and then ooh. MGM started selling their studio backlot property and movie props out in Culver City. At the Oscars, Patton won big, won Best Picture, Best Director for Frank Schaffner, and George C. Scott, who was also, by the way, a hell of a Scrooge. There was an Albert Finney Scrooge that came out in 1970, but George C. Scott did a hell of a Christmas story, for sure, at some point in his career. He won his Oscar for Patton. Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola, you may remember, co-wrote the screenplay for Patton, and this is probably the movie he did right before The Godfather. Which would come out two years later. Uh, other big winners: Glenda Jackson, who, by the Jackson's way, is still
0: Rainbow First.
1: Okay, fuck everybody. Glenda Jackson <laughs> <laughs> won an Oscar for *Women in Love*. John Mills won for *Ryan's Daughter*. Uh, and then *Love Story* won like some screenplay and score type things. And then, really quickly, what's going on in the world? The swinging '60s are, of course, over. So the civil rights movement essentially begins its decline. Uh, after 1968, really, but hits up big in 1970, as the war protests really got crazy, because this is the year that the Vietnam um, War bled into Cambodia, and this is the year everybody was like, okay, fuck all, what, what what's going on here? So there's definitely yeah. a lot of protests around the country for that. Also, Stonewall was in 1969, but it took a long time for that word to spread around the country, so in 1970, you had a lot of gay and lesbian rights parades Breaking up everywhere because this was the time. Gaddafi is proclaimed the premier of Libya. Apollo 13! The actual real Apollo 13 was in 1970, as was the real Earth Day. On my birthday was when Vietnam went into Cambodia, so there you go. The Red Army faction of West Germany begins its reign of terror here. A plane crash carrying the Wichita State University football team crashes killing 31 in Colorado, which is sad. PBS is founded. Fiji becomes a nation. And... The, ho- the Oregon Highway, yes, I said Oregon, fuck everybody. The Oregon, <laughs> yeah. it's an O, don't give me this Look, shit. H- Larry, Houston and it's Houston.
0: Oregon. <laughs>
1: uh, the Oregon Highway Division attempts to destroy a rotting beach sperm whale with explosives, leading <laughs> to the now infamous Exploding <laughs> Whale Oregon, known as the Exploding Whale Incident. Wow. Any other movies or anything else you want to shout out about 1970?
0: I just learned a lot. So I'm feeling great. I'm good.
1: Uh, I should also say (laughs) Robert Altman won the Palme d'Or for MASH. For
0: MASH. Oh, he did? Wow. I always forget that one, the Palme d'Or. Nice, man. Mm. All right. The Conformist. Go for
1: it. 1970s. So The Conformist actually came to theaters in America and in most of Italy, where the movie was, of course, filmed, uh, although it is a co pro with Italy, France, and West Germany. Um, But it actually premiered at the Berlin Film Festival, where it was up for the Golden Bear until the fucking festival was suspended because of the anti-war film, OK, which came out of West Germany. Gee, surprising place in 1970 to have an anti-war film. Um, It caused such a stir and such a ruckus. Not the conformist, which also was about fascism in World War II or pre-World War II into World War II. But no, the movie OK suspended the Berlin Film Festival where this uh, premiered, but also the New York Film Festival in which Bertolucci actually had two films premiere back to back. Literally, you could see two Bertolucci premieres in a row at the New York Film Festival. So again, even though this hit theaters here in 1971, the record of this film is definitely very well supplanted in 1970. So that is where it is going for us. It has a 98 on Rotten Tomatoes. Bertolucci would go on to win two Oscars for The Last Emperor. The cinematographer is Vittorio Storaro, who we talked about several times. He is one of only three cinematographers to win three cinematography Oscars. Dave, who are the other two? I don't know. Well, one won three in a row recently. Does that give you a hint? Nope. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Chivo. Chivo won three in a row. Emmanuel Lubetsky won three in a row. And then Robert Richardson. Dude, by the time we get to cinematography
0: of wow. the Oscars, Robert I'm already hammered. <laughs> Robert Richardson's won
2: three. I have, time. Right. I have time for like a text to several people to go, Ah, the guy I wanted won. And
1: that's <laughs> it. I'm done. I've forgotten already. Uh, that's a good point. Very good point. Um, so anyway, I want to give the pitch before we start talking about this because that's really cool to know that a lot of these people—they, the, most of this success, so you know, quote unquote success—was after 1970. Bertolucci was only 30 in 1970 when he made this film, and it was not Jesus his first. Jesus Christ, 30 years old. And wow. I'm going to give you the IMDb Acquip. description, which yeah. I think is great. And then I'm going to kick it off to you. Our initial reactions. What'd you think? What'd you feel? This is available to stream on Canopy, but as long as you have your library card, because my fucking grad school does not have this in their catalog. So you got to get your library card up to date if you want to watch this. Or you can start a free trial on some weird ass like Amazon thing that I did, which I already canceled. I started some like Mino, Mino films, Milo films. I, I did a free trial. Everyone so remember to, watch to this cancel free. your free trials. There you go. The Conformist. A weak-willed Italian man becomes a fascist flunky who goes abroad to arrange the assassination of his old teacher, now a political dissident. Where he goes abroad is Paris, where some of this movie is set, that's important. It stars Jean-Louis Chutignant. I have no idea how to say that, but he is the guy from Amour, and he did pass away last year, so shout out to him. But yes, the old guy in Amour oh is God. the lead Whoa. of this movie. Whoa. 42 years before Amour. I'm gonna kick it off to you guys. What'd you think? What'd you feel? Is this your first Bertolucci ever that you've seen? And what'd you think of the film? Dave, which was come nominated at me. for best screenplay, by the way. I, I,
2: this was the first one I think I've seen. Same. Um, did you guys get the the original version or the new restored one? Restored. The new restored. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, I'm very conflicted about this one, mm-hmm. for for many many reasons. Um, i I really love the cinematography I don't know if I was a fan of the direction uh, I would have liked to have known that it was edited out of sequence uh, to go in because uh, sometimes he messed with timelines a little and that's, that's like noted and uh, but there was a, there was a lot of stuff I really loved but there were just a few things that bugged me all the way through so Do you want to bring them up now or you want to wait? No, we'll, we'll can, get to them. We'll get to
0: them. Get a shovel. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. So mine's a, mine's a mixed review on this one. It was like, it was, it was good, but not great. Oh. Huh. Mm. I
0: feel like, um. Apparently that's close enough. Yeah. 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 This was not my first, but I haven't, I haven't like gone deep into his canon, but I've seen his famous ones, Last Tango Bears, Last Emperor, Little Buddha, um, Anyway, I, I had not seen this one and I I think I love this film. Um, it was it is moving paintings. it is moving art. It is not set in like it is not supposed to, I don't think it's supposed to be experienced as though it is in any way realistic. Um, there are certain aspects and certain moments in the scenarios that are realistic and that are, or, or at least so close to realistic in the talking about a time period when fascism was on the rise in Italy and Germany, that you can believe the reality of what they're showing you. But the way he manipulates time, the way he manipulates characters moving in and out of emotional circumstances or physical circumstances in, in scenes and out of scenes are so expressive that, um, I'm not gonna lie to you guys, I was actually a little tired when we first started watching this last night. So for the first 30 minutes, I was a little in and out, went back and watched first like 30 or 40 minutes again. And already in that little rewatch I did, this movie is like an onion. I think I need to see this movie like three more times. And because it's just so expressive and I don't think it's supposed to be something where it's A, B, C, D, like there is so much more to gain from it. Like you said, Dave, once you know more about how the story is told, like once I realized realize You realize it when it's happening, but the way that this whole thing is framed within a flashback or a series of flashbacks, that didn't come across quite as hard to me the first time I was watching it. Um, and well, that, that that doesn't that's really.
2: funny you should that, say it because it was once I realized what was going on, I settled in and enjoyed the rest. That's why it's mixed for yeah. me.
0: Which is, you know, I think it's part of the expression um, didn't want to point directly at that But ultimately, looking back, I agree with you. I mean, the opening scene, once you realize, like, oh, my God, once you realize the emotional circumstances he has going into that, getting picked up and going to fulfill his duty, you're like, holy shit, this whole thing is tainted by that. And again, once I started rethinking and starting to see how many times she appears differently before Mm -hmm. you see her in her final circumstance, um, the uh, the second supporting female character. I guess she might be the first in terms of, of billing uh, next to his, his wife, his fiancee and wife character, but um, man, this was, I haven't seen a movie this uh, this expressive in a while that was pulled off with that, that kind of maturity, and on top of it he's dealing with fucking a serious serious issue with a lot of a lot of symbolism that we can never underestimate this guy's, that shit is way touchier over there than it is here yeah. so I mean... You know, there's a 30 year old making commentary about something that happened you know, 30, 40 years ago for a lot of people who were just one generation above him. So I uh, I don't know, I was pretty flabbergasted by it and it has definitely been in our household here. We've been talking about it today. Like it's it stuck with people and people are, are discussing it and the sequences and the, I don't know. I thought it was really moving. How about you, Joe? I, I agree wholeheartedly
1: in the sense that it's like it's not like I was watching it being like, this is awesome, but there were so many things where I was like, wait, because I thought the scene work was so good. It obviously looked really good. It was confusing, in a, in a but not in a way that was like, took me out of it. It was kind of like, wait, what was that opening scene? Was that different? Are we, is this, you know, like, why did that segue to the flashback? Why did we do the flashback there? Um, how, is he happy? Is he unhappy? Is he a killer? Is he good at his job? Is he bad at his job? There were a lot of these kinds of questions, which again, I think, I kind of knew early on. I almost wish this could be a rewatch before the conversation, but um, I think ultimately there are two scenes. One of which is the the last scene, of course. There are two oh scenes God. where I'm like, "Holy shit, this is obviously pretty- great," and I'm compelled. The other one's the confession scene, and I like. It's it, there's a lot of chauviny in this, you know. So like, I I kind of i I've, I've been told by a lot of. Uh, women in my life like I don't get the fascination with The Godfather it's just like a men film and I'm kind of like but it's so good but I get it because you know there's there's definitely like a chauvinist you know lilt to this uh, I, I'm sure it's true to the time but that doesn't necessarily make it an easier pill to swallow and the
0: culture I think Italy yeah. is still totally
1: you know. totally um, where there's this love of beauty and women but in a way that is sort of beneath you know this these this, Anyway, yes, that. So that is, I understand, difficult. You know, the nagging woman that he's obviously not in love with. But the way that it's handled is very brilliant. And it seems judgment-free, but you can also tell that this is like an anti-war director in there. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I, I was so, I'm so intrigued by it, too, that it's like I am I, uh, compelled to watch it again.
0: I'm glad you said that. And I think I'll just mm-hmm. counter or or second what you're saying and counter this Italian movie that has some chauvinistic, you know, tendencies and qualities, for me, works beautifully because the character is in inner conflict about his sexuality and his masculinity, True. which I think is fulfilled at the very end. So the fact mm. that there's also, I think, I think Brotolucci, who was a fucking poet for a long time, I think he was commenting on that exact issue. This isn't the sincerity of the Godfather saying, yeah, you know, we treat women this way, and, and I, I think he was kind of Making a point to say this man and his effort to assimilate to a normal life is treating is treating women this way uh, when he actually might not even be attracted to women. Like I feel right. like there was something really, really, really poignant about that. Um, I don't know, Dave. I want to hear the things that were that were frustrating to you, but um, I also just want to clarify it, Jeff. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw one more sequence in there because it's probably the most famous sequence. I assume when you said the end, you literally meant the end, like the epilogue section where he goes and accuses his blind yeah. friend. Yeah, of, yeah. I mean, that's He's everyone. <laughs> the assassination, though. Holy yeah. crap. Yeah. In the woods, in the car, the, the filmmaking was like, I was exploding. Like I, I yeah. couldn't believe how I beautiful love... it
2: was. Also, <laughs> a, a stabbing circle has to be one of the most brutal ways to go. A
0: stabbing uh, oh, circle. Oh, yeah. Also, <laughs> did
1: you not think this? Why is everybody so bad at stabbing? You know, like, I, I don't know. Is it just, I know it's not like that easy of a
0: thing, dude, I I'm, think like, it's messy business. And why dude, were I they taking it's... turns? Like, sh-
2: here we go. Yep. Yeah, sh- i come in.
0: Uh, yeah, it exactly. like swooping yeah. birds. Was that, though, when they came out yeah. of the woods. And uh, this was, I couldn't help but do the, the, the visuals are unbelievable. But this is uh, still mixing in mono. Uh, sound design wasn't quite what it was, but the way they let the echoes of those gunshots ring through the woods, oh, yeah. that's yeah. fucking great. The oh, creaks it's... of the trees oh my god i thought that was just and the look on her face and i i'll just you know we're spoilers whatever i just want to go ahead and open this discussion up because it became really i was thinking about it this morning and it became more and more true for me last night when i was watching those first like, 30 minutes or so do you guys think that she was a spy and if she was whose side was she on
1: i don't no, his, his his wife i
0: i don't either I, but no no, no not his wife the the blonde. Oh, sorry, the, the professor's yeah, yeah, wife. The, of it. No, um,
2: I I think she knew that what he was there for and she was trying to convince him not to by seducing him.
0: Because we see her two other times. The first time you see her is when he's in the big prime the minister's giant building and he's going to see the prime minister for the first time. Mm, and right. she's dressed in black and she's like a seducing the prime minister and she just looks over at him and it cuts away. Right. Oh, and I the didn't second realize that was time her. you see her. That was her? And then I bet you definitely didn't realize it was her this time. Do you remember where the guy, who by the way is the black hand in Godfather Two? that dude who's yes. his bodyguard? Yeah,
1: and also this is like his 30th movie. He was he oh, he's, has done he's so many, but by the by the time The Conformance came out, he has a huge catalog already.
0: When he says, the first time he confronts him, which Dave might be like one of my favorite color transitions in the whole movie, when he goes to visit his mother and that guy, says oh it's a coincidence I wasn't following you but by the way is your name Cachetti? <laughs> and yes. he's like clearly following him uh, when they when he lets him into his mom's house and you see the timing on the film shift and they turn around and, and they the, face the mother's house oh, is that when is, the
2: Dutch tilt corrects
0: yes the Dutch tilt corrects and it goes from totally bleached out almost no color to they turn around in the same shot and it is fucking vibrant as hell. The color and the trees and the house and everything. Anyway, um, when that man tells him before you get to Paris, go to see that guy, Raoul, and Raoul is going to give you your instructions on who to take out. When he goes into that place, he sees her again and she's the one with the red head and the guy, the black hand guy, the, uh, the bodyguard guy is kissing her and he's saying, tell me you're crazy. Tell me you're crazy. Tell him you're crazy. And she walks up to him and she says, I'm crazy. And he just grabs her and hugs her. Cut. That's the only time he ever shows any affection hmm. for her. That's the same woman. So it left me at the end of the movie, I was like, oh my
1: God, was she I she a yeah. fucking
0: spy? And the most beautiful part about it is that it doesn't matter. The no. terror on her face when she's up against that window and when she's running through the woods, it doesn't matter anymore. Everybody loses in a fascistic state fascistic state, right? right like it, yeah. I thought that symbolism was fucking perfect. I don't care if she was or if well, she was, wasn't. Was that meant to signify Ooh.
2: that he put her face on everyone? Beautiful.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Be. yeah. This yeah, is that's where an that, art film yeah. can do that's, something that's, that a That's changed my mind a little bit take. on
2: some of the some of the things. Yeah. That's oh, cool.
0: But well, Dave, tell yeah, us t- what were some of the other things that were kind of like? Well,
2: eh. I mean, before I go, it, let's talk about the cinematography a little, because fuck, they chose Please. some wonderful locations. Yeah. Um. Those sweeping tracking shots that introduce scene elements, big fan. Love those. If you can get a track that's like 30 foot long, go for it. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, It reminded me a lot of uh, some Vietnamese cinema that I've seen. Uh, Mm. There's a film called Scent of Green Papaya. uh, And they do a full tracking shot where there's business happening in the corner of one frame and... The actress actress walks back into the building and then down the corridor of the building, and the camera tracks. And business happens here, and business happens in the foreground. and then business, and it's literally her traversing this building to the other side, where she comes out and starts like cracking fruit in the yard. But the camera goes the entire way with her, and then that stops and it goes back. And it's it's mm. a really long, complicated, beautiful scene. And they, they use this a lot in this to great effect. Um, and I think it was actually made after, so it may it may have influenced vietnamese cinema possibly. oh man yeah um i don't know uh but yeah the, like just like the extreme dutch tilt maybe not as much for fan, but i love the way it corrected when he went through the gate because it was mm-hmm. like out in the it, i did notice like through cinematography and action and stuff like that no there was like all of the locations and everything with almost like a dystopian future Like they were empty Mm -hmm. and wide and sparse. And the only time human conversations were had were behind closed
0: doors. Oh, that's good. That's good. Wow. Yeah. And that generally speaking, generally the flashbacks, or at least the heart of the flashbacks aesthetically were full of color. Yeah. And I thought it was the contrast Mm -hmm. between, there are three major color schemes in this movie. The flashback is like a lot of, Bleached and pulled out, except for magenta and the yellows, like the he- the yellows and the headlights and the magenta of Paris, like the blue Paris with the- that was really interesting. Which evolves into him on that road and those fla- in the in the present day in the car all the way up into the assassination, but just really grayed out, really bleached. Mm. And then the 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 vivid color of the fucking flashbacks, that fucking dance scene, the blind birthday party, and then the dance scene where they go dancing in Paris, like. Holy shit! The mm-hmm, colors yeah. in those sequences were like, what the <laughs> fuck is this shit? It's like Caravaggio shit. And then what I thought was crazy is that the way that they almost, almost took like the the strangest elements of all of those things for the epilogue, after the assassination, two years later, when he's got the kid and stuff, and the the, the fascist government has fallen, and the way they kept some of the magento <sighs> and yellow aspects, but they introduced some like green. And then there we went back to that red. We mm. finally land on him when he's trapped in his his choices by the end of the movie. Yeah. I thought that some how the fuck they got back there was was I mean, crazy green to me. Is definitely,
2: green is definitely the color of uncertainty. <laughs> 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 <Sad> <laughs> on, dude.
0: Yeah. All nineties cinema. Neo but, is all yeah. trapped in the matrix. It's all green.
2: Yeah, it's um there were other things as well like uh for a mention for a, uh you mentioned the party where everyone's blind and they're having a conversation and they're positioned in the bottom of the frame and in the top of the frame there's those two windows and there's this noticeable business going on outside the windows and if you watch mm-hmm. it for long enough there's a story she's waiting for someone and they finally turn up they meet they leave together like this oh, just yeah. this little bit of business happening in the window as soon as that's done the camera drifts down oh. and so it's like you don't see that any as much anymore like that noticeable business in the background because I guess a lot of modern directors would probably go that's too distracting I don't want to do that but it really adds something to, to the frame especially when your actors are doing nothing like they're literally just talking
1: well, I love and it, um, that, that sort of shit really works for me I love when yeah. he's pa- he's pacing in the recording studio, and well, there's a live recording in the back. This is early in the yeah. film, and um, it's going so you it's going basically where you can see the full window and the live like trio of singers with the piano player and the little mini audience, and then it, he paces so that he you, you can't see the window, and then he walks back in and you can see the window again in the background. And then he, so you can see him pacing, but rather than just have him pace mm. as an audience, it kind of help it helps it last longer yeah. without me just being like okay. But also in it.
2: that case, they're not panning the camera; they're tracking sideways yeah that's right tracking yeah so it like that the background drifts out and then drifts mm-hmm. back in and that, that, that is yeah. one of the points where i had to rewind it because i was like i got so distracted by the cinematography he's telling that fantastic story where basically the punchline of it is like that guy's name was hitler and i was like uh-huh. what? what what yeah i, to I said to know
1: like, what i said to know what year we were in when he said that and I yes like, is that, a that joke? was the other, yeah oh my god
0: yeah i yeah, yeah i think that uh Dave, what you, what you were saying about like a lot of modern directors would be, I think we're we're so. This is what might be lost if we only embrace the the streaming uh, serial style format, mm-hmm. where you really are so focused on if you're at a scene, it's because the writing needs to tell you how to get to the next point in the story, whereas a visual could either tell you a scene is either probably going to tell you, um, you're either going to learn something about the story or something about the world or the character. And I think that aspect gets a little lost in the, we need, we need to move stories forward with dialogue in, you know, serialized formats. Um, So I feel like this is one of those things that, you know, like when, when somebody like Scorsese is at his best, he can entertain a modern audience while still using a lot of these techniques. Uh, So I think the real trick is like, how do we get people to start to remember that this can be super fucking entertaining and compelling, and like trick them into not thinking that it's not just pretentious for the sake of the art and how beautiful it looks.
2: Yeah, it's I, well, straight up directors stop just putting extras in the background you see and have them say rhubarb to each other, like give them give them <laughs> yeah. business. Like this couple has this story. This you know, if they're sitting in a cafe or whatever, like give give some give them something to work with in the background, and mm-hmm. don't be afraid to let them experience it. I think that's that's probably the best thing for. For new directors oh yeah that, mm-hmm. that background element can it's not so much a distraction but it just makes everything feel more natural
1: i love when there's a fight in a scene and everybody in the background is just talking quietly and silently and stilly and like nobody reacts or responds yeah because it yeah like, yeah um i also love uh, this the first professor scene where they go in and out of the dark and then he, when he says yeah. like all i could hear was his voice but then the professor like goes into the dark i'm sure that's just just there's just crippling amounts of of um metaphor in that, but it was cool. It's yeah. Cool. Right down to a shadow side. disappearing.
0: Yeah. Don't you feel like a lot of it is just having the courage to to do that? You know, when Gordon Willis was shooting Godfather, Dave's favorite movie, they were so upset because they couldn't see <laughs> so many so many people were in these shadows, but like, it kind of <laughs> started Buzz to the line. feel like you know, yeah. <laughs> Look great at my it TV. Just started, to, just started to feel like it just starts to feel like the language. This guy also started, Storaro also shot Apocalypse Now and that beautiful well, I mean, famous scene with the light bulb is swinging past yeah. Brando and he's oh, yeah. in and out of total darkness. And- from a modern perspective, Edgar
2: Wright, Scott Pilgrim, which is my favorite movie in the world. Yeah. Um, it, it's a movie that's so stylized and so niche, and, but he made the decision to make a Scott Pilgrim movie. I'm going to make it exactly the way I think it should be. And if you don't like it, it's not for you. And mm-hmm. like he wasn't ex- afraid to go to yeah. that level of detail. And it's been appreciated forever. Say that's a modern... Like version of i guess godfather and that sort of thing not comparing the two but it is a modern yeah yeah careful dave yeah yeah
1: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) obviously there's a lot of there's a
2: lot of rewatch more
1: (laughs) it does it's 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 weird that it feels like a gangster film in some parts because the gangster films were probably largely inspired by this and many other films of italian cinema and others um and actually apparently steve buscemi directed an episode of the soprano sopranos that had a similar woods assassination scene that was very clearly modeled off of this and Buscemi directed it. Obviously, mm. Godfather 2. Um, but that confession scene, I wanna go back to it. Because okay. there are not many times in movies where you have a character who's almost behaving like they're in a the noir, but obviously he's not a detective, but it's like they're not saying anything. They're just sort of observing, they have a mission, they have a job. This is, again, like that weird gangster era, that crossover. And is he's, an, he's an admitted atheist which is funny to hear in Italian culture. So he's he's a fascist, but he's also an atheist. So that kind of is, is surprising to me for some reason. And then his wife, who he admits is mediocre and is all bed and kitchen, which again, chauvinistic, but it's like, holy shit. Petit bourgeois. He, 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 yeah. doesn't, he doesn't want to have to do the confession, but needs to in order for the marriage to be blessed, I guess. And even though he's an atheist, he's the most honest with this priest in the whole movie. And then the priest is so surprised by this and he admits he has no guilt over any of this stuff. This is where we hear about the murder. We get all this backstory and all this context. And then at the end of the scene, the priest realizes that he's actually working for the sacred police. And then basically blesses him and absolves him of all of his sins uh because he thinks he's doing good work for the country. So you're talking about a 2023, 2024. Trump uh-huh. is literally quoting fascists right now while he's running for president. He's saying the Democrats are gonna ruin this country and kill her, and they're going you know, everything's over. They're the they we have to root out the evil from within. They're gonna poison the blood. Literally quoting fascists. And then here's this priest who's basically like, Oh, you're working for him? Great, you're good. Okay, no you're not sinning. Everything mm-hmm. you're great. It's like it is so fucking fascinating to see it. And it's the yeah, most honest he is in the whole film.
0: It's wild. He is I feel like we should definitely give enough credit to like Bertolucci wrote this. Like he wrote most of his screenplays. He's a fantastic writer, obviously. That scene plays in a pull out and a push in. It's one. Yeah. There's no cuts. And that whole fucking but- and the way that they framed the the priest and like the half in darkness, half out. Of course, all confessionals give you that effect. That is the nature of them naturally. But I thought it was great the way they you almost saw his whole face. How when when the priest would choose to lean in closer to him and get a little bit more into that magenta color. And then they just pull out and reveal that she's sitting right fucking there listening to the him. The whole talk time, about yeah. Her. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was fucking hilarious. Another one that was c- kind of similar, Jeff, for me was um, another one where I was like, God, I hope I have the courage to do this one day. In that radio sequence that is fucking gorgeous visually, but that is when you learn the man he's with, uh, Italo. I think is his name, the blind man. Yeah. Um, Italo, you learn know, yeah. he's fascist. You learn that you're not quite sure if Kaczerdi is. I think I'm saying his name right. Is um, is Clarici? Totally on board or not Clarici? Clarici. Clarici. Uh, you're not Clerici. quite sure where he stands. Is he tells the story about? Yeah, my dad knew this guy. It was Hitler, uh, and then they cut to Italo, same scene, same sequence, but they cut to him, he's inside the radio booth now, and he begins giving a speech on fascism. And you're like, okay, I'm putting the pieces together as an audience member. I guess we're totally full on fascistic fascistic at this point, and I guess, you know, Clorici is okay with that. And then in that same place, it doesn't show a character come in or out, it just cuts back inside the booth that he's looking at, and the chief of police is sitting opposite him. How we got there? Who cares? Yeah, Who yeah, knows? Yeah. And they just started having their conversation about, "Do you want to come work for us?" And there's that wonderful exchange of, most people work for us out of fear, S- some do it out of money, and very few do it because they actually believe in the the fashion, you know, these yeah. these r- 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 principles that we have. And I can't figure out why you are doing it. And mm-hmm. he just he just says, "I'm ready for assignment." He doesn't yeah, answer. It's, yeah, it. good. Just like they totally avoid it. So they they completely ignore filmmaking wise, like. Forget about the logic of how this, the timeline of the sequence worked. Forget about how the chief of police got there, why they started talking. It doesn't matter. There's just information, there's just expression, and there's just character development in a single response. Hmm. That is fucking, just, that's A+. I,
2: I just wanted to say, was I, did I miss the mark, or is this one of the most hateable protagonists we've had since Dear Evan Hansen?
0: Dear Evan Hansen, Oh, come too. on. No, I thought this guy was... I thought, I thought this guy was... I hated him.
2: But I hated
0: Dave. him, but I hated him with a fiery passion. It was great. It was a reaction. It was. But I've often, God, I'm going to be. Oh my God, I want to try to say this as carefully as possible. Where do you place your empathy and understanding of a people who were victims of a government with that kind of power that did, you know, that at a time mm. when there was no anti movement against the Nazis mm. once they got to power. There wasn't like a secret resistance. I didn't didn't hate him because he was a fascist. I just hated him because he was a dick. (laughs) You just thought he was a dick? I I just thought he was like a, I mean, he was a fucking yuppie. You know what I mean? He was rich. Mm -hmm. I think that was, when they finally showed you that like he had a lot of these issues for himself because he was molested as a child. We can't take away from that. By the way, did you see uh, our friend Mark from the Matt and Mark movie podcast? (laughs) That fucking character, the chauffeur when he shook his hair out.
1: Oh my God! Are you talking? What you're talking about? Oh, uh, no. What's the guy's name? Lino. Uh, Lino. Oh yeah, Le- Lino.
0: <laughs> oh,
2: oh my God, God. Mark. That's really now, so see now funny. I have to, now I have to find that frame, screenshot Lino. it, and put it up on the on the
1: YouTube. He's
0: so skinny. He looks just. Oh, oh my, my God. God! That cracked <laughs> me up, dude. But um,
1: yeah, <laughs> so, it's like, I'm looking at this guy Pietro Clementino. now.
0: So <laughs> funny. But he's pushing against like his. He like hated himself because he was so fucking rich and privileged. He desperately wanted to be like a normal person. You know, mm. I just thought that was um there was something so so interesting about that. But also like I know what you mean, Dave, that there's something like very mm. it's easy to judge somebody who... It didn't, who it that didn't take amount a, of,
2: well, it didn't take away from the film. It it just made him an interesting protagonist because I hated him.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I don't I don't think I hated him. I think I, if I, I hated don't, him, I, I kept would, waiting I a lot for him to trouble watching it.
2: Yeah. No, I, don't know. I well maybe that's why I had a bit of trouble watching it. But uh, no, I, I just I just hated the guy.
1: I don't know if I hated him either, but yeah, you you knew that he wasn't a likable person in real life.
0: <laughs> yeah, how about that? Can we say that? Like, I was very conscious of like he's an antihero for sure. Yeah. If there had been a version of this movie where it was a leader of the resistance, white hat hero all the way, I think this would have been really boring just because there would have been no nuance to like navigating those behind the scenes issues i mean the fact that this is an entire story with the fucking titular (laughs) you know the conformist and it's about somebody just kind of going through the motions of being a service a civil service member to an extent within that fascist government yeah that is crazy like i can't believe he was able to make this movie (laughs) <laughs> it's just we saw the man in the high tower and things like that you know right. even stories like that are like more heightened and there's a there's a point of view against fascism in that movie whereas i feel like we had to kind of like we had to kind of go along with the ride here and kind of start pulling apart the layers before you realize human beings are the mo- we're prop we're possibly the most dangerous creatures because we are so f- malleable i, I mean think it's probably switch, about it, yeah.
1: the most dangerous game zodiac you know yeah, I just, I yeah,
2: just sure, the, sure. there were a couple of things in there as well like I, like I just want to touch on the fact that the misogyny did piss me off a little bit um mm-hmm. like that that old chestnut where you just grab a woman's head and plant one on her and that's all she needs to fall in love with you and then that's yeah, everything's well after that it's like that's uh-huh. not true fellas uh it's gonna get you kicked in the nuts and you deserve it uh-huh. um but the one that I really drew the line that made me feel borderline uncomfortable and I get it Europeans deal with this stuff differently um but when she tells him about the uncle or the lawyer that um uncle perpuzio yeah uh when she was 15 and they then proceed to reenact they reenact it yeah weird as the weird. consummation yeah. of their marriage and i'm like this is really uncomfortable and yeah. weird and i was, I was
0: like and no, that was I the i think it's supposed to be and don't you yeah of course were like high, well, high fuck, five everyone's gonna love like this fucking success <laughs> Like, fucking think- success. I mean, My wife got I
1: up and left incredible. the room, man.
2: She was done.
1: Well, there's also this, like, masochism, obviously, that the guy has because he's not really in love with women. Although he's in love with the... he He's he's in love with beauty, I suppose, but he's not... It doesn't seem like he, he's toggling with whether or not he's actually sexually attracted to women. And so for some reason, this power story is, like, the one that drives him sexually. There, there's a friend's joke where... This is... Angela's going to laugh. The, when, when Chandler has the, the Santa suit... And Monica's like, can you wait to turn that in? Did He's your dad like, really? dress up as Santa? No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> then it's is okay! <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: uh, honestly. But in this case, it's, did your dad dress up as Santa? No. Oh, fuck. All right, we'll forget it. Dave, yeah. I mean,
0: <laughs> of, course, of course, with our you know, with our perspective now, like, of course, uh, 100%, I agree. Like, if anybody did that in a realism mm-hmm. account today, yeah. fucked up, not just today, at any, yeah. at any point in time, but just to... Within this world of art film, looking back, I'm very fascinated that they made his first interaction with her in her new world, blonde wife or or girlfriend to the professor, that his first interaction with her intimately was like forcing himself upon her like that. And then right afterwards, that's when she starts acknowledging you saw through me and please don't say anything because I'm scared. And I don't know what I'm more scared of, you mm. or what's happening to these countries. And so, again, the actual act, maybe the expression of using the forced sex was, was fucked up objectively. But I right. was very interested that he somehow like had to force himself back into her perspective to make her realize, fuck, he knows, he knows all of my past. He saw me in multiple scenarios and now he knows that I might be lying right now. Or at least that's, how, that's a possibility. Mm, yeah. So I just, I mean, yeah, I mean,
2: the fact I, that he has seen her three times before and like she's a possibly a spy did was lost the, sorry, was lost about, on me at that point. But yeah,
0: I just I think I think the one that sexually bothered me more than that one actually, which does <laughs> terrible. I'm not qualifying it. Forcing yourself yeah. is terrible. But when she was at the ballet studio and she and he, yeah. yells at him so that everyone could hear her yelling at him through the mm-hmm. walls, yeah. and then. She she confesses like I'm I don't know what to do and I'm scared with what you're going to do please don't hurt him please don't hurt us and then she just strips down and fucks him I was like what the fuck is happening which again made me think this woman is a femme fatale I like she I feel like did they she's, actually have sex I think at that she's point because he only held her
1: I don't yeah I mean it's again this is I one know. of those I'm wondering did, did he ever have sex with her. This is one of those movies where a lot. Yeah. This is one of those movies where a lot is implied. So even like obviously the quote unquote murder, which comes back later, but like you sit there and be like, did he even shoot at that guy? You know, there's a lot of that. Dude, this, this is this
2: is the '70s. If they were fucking, you saw him fucking. <laughs> it
1: looks like a <laughs> duck who walks like a duck. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there, there were there were a lot of times where it was like, eh, like even the the one time where they were fully clothed on the bed. Yeah, maybe they didn't fuck. Maybe it was just him being like soft, and he's like, wait, I'm not attracted to you. Uh, It's like that moment in Bedazzled when Brendan Fraser is like, I'm not gay. Yep, I'm gay. There it is. I'm gay. How the
2: fuck (laughs) did we get to Bedazzled?
1: (laughs) All right, I'll buzz myself. Uh, (laughs) But um, Oscar winner, Brendan Fraser. But in this particular moment in the ballet studio, and I'm not necessarily saying it wasn't chauvinistic, but it did seem like she had a desperation where she probably was a spy, but she understood she was on the losing side here. And so therefore she needed to be and maybe she did have feelings for him. Maybe she, I I don't know. This it's still gonna take another viewing or two to unpack that. Right. But it almost seemed like she was showing her nudity as a plea. I'll give you myself if it means sparing him, even yeah. though she's not gonna end up with him, well, or that's, just like that's don't let I us die. That's, and, that's exactly. And how not it like, a, plea
0: or and, a plea, or like the like the power move. Like because if she did know him as a prostitute in the past, it was implied that we never yeah. really see. Maybe she also knew he can't finish. Like he can't, he won't be. He's. I'm gonna True. have him completely. If I ex, if I expose myself and expose his weakness again, then I have power over him in a way. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this maybe that maybe of, that
1: was between them in that last. And I'm glad she didn't say his name. I'm glad it was just like a yell in the car at the very end of her oh, life.
0: Oh God, the yeah. look on her face. Yeah. This also, did not to get too edible here, but that sequence when he goes home, coming off of what we're saying about his his sexual implications and interactions with this woman. The moment when he's home with his mom, of course, he goes up and he's like, I don't want to see you half naked. Cover yourself. And she's like, I had a dream that you sat here and kissed me. And he kisses her on the forehead. Nothing like crazy, weird, sexual. But then they go through their whole sequence where he's basically just fighting with her for like, I thought we were going to, I need to go see dad. Come on, hurry the fuck up and stop fucking your fucking servant her whatever. The tree guy, Kai or whatever. I think think he's
2: he's a little gun shy around drivers after what happened to him.
0: Should be sure. The driver saved him though. But at the end of that. Oh, that was right. uh, At the end of that sequence is one of the most beautiful shot moments in the whole movie. But this whole sequence builds to him like finally, like all right, mom, hurry the fuck up and get inside the car. I don't know where Kai is because his bodyguard guy from Godfather Two beat the hell out of him. May have killed him. I don't know. And then she finally gets in the car. And basically it's not a pointless exchange but she's basically like where is he and he's like i don't know i looked everywhere for him what do you want from me hurry up get in the car they she gets in the car and then it cuts to that incredible low tracking shot across the leaves and kurosawa style the wind is going yeah. fucking nuts and the leaves Dude, are going I, all over the place i straight up went who, who, who put the, the car
2: yeah. i was like who put the fucking movie in kurosawa mode yeah
0: Honestly, <laughs> they did and they just literally get out of the car and walk back toward the house yeah hmm. it's and funny and they cut into the the institution where their dad is. So That's there's a part fassy. of me that wondered like, whatever weird fucked up sexual energy thing was happening between him and his mother and that car, we go away from the car and see this, the earth is going nuts. And then they walk out together. I don't know. I'm not saying they had yeah. sex or anything, well, but and it yeah. was weird. There was something strange that like, why did they go to such effort to cut away from the car yeah. and show the wind going nuts in that shot just for them to walk out of a car? the leaves his godfather like too, too, as well
1: I, I was wondering were they like hiding the body like was she under the car like i i didn't because that happened i feel like a body just got disappeared during that sequence so again that's why i kind of mean like there's implied is it a memory piece because there's that flashback like yeah there are a lot you know even the kid, the beatings with the boy you don't really see it the stabbings you know like, they mean, do a good job of like putting some people in the foreground so you don't quite see it as clearly as you should mm-hmm,
0: or you would I, took, mm-hmm. I took it
1: that neither of them could drive the car Oh, that's, that's what nice. I, I basically yeah. was
0: like, well, then we, we, there's nowhere for us to go. We need to go find our, Wait, our so guy. Ma-
1: Manginello can't drive the car or he doesn't before that. I don't think so. No, he, he has can, a driver. I out. don't think
0: she, she doesn't know that he's his driver. Yeah. I see. That's the I first see. time those guys met. And I don't know. Oh, right. Sure right. Mm. Anyway. I, this, just, okay. I just, I just want to point out,
2: <laughs> I, just, I just want to point out one thing in the, uh, the Dutch tilt section where he's walking down the street and there's the car almost following him. And he, he walks past the fence and the dog is barking at the fence. Yeah. Did anybody hear someone say meow like a cat? Yeah. In the it was him. Yeah. They literally said meow.
0: <laughs> I think it's him pretending to be a cat when he's like walking past the dog. I think okay, he was like thank God.
2: Because at first I was like, did they, was that an actual fucking sound effect? Someone saying meow like they were a cat? You know what? It, it because it didn't play Italians, well for me. And I was like, I, I, expect, of- I expect that out of Monty Python,
0: not this. Because of the weird Italian (laughs) code where they were not allowed to record production sound, where everything was dubbed for years and years and years, the soundtracks are dreamlike, in a sense. Like, you're really not sure who's talking or where their voices are coming from. Oh, yeah,
1: it's so funny.
0: What's making noise. Anyway, man.
1: I also love the shot where the guy, like, right to camera basically was like, Musica!
0: <laughs> that was, the, oh, yeah. that was a lot of weird reporting
1: Yeah, it so, looked like he was staring at the camera. This movie, I need like six more watches of this. I don't know, I can't do it now. <laughs> every, I time, we, yeah. every time we bring something up, it go, the watch count goes up. Also, is this where snitches get stitches come from? <laughs> yeah, do you know what we call that? A snitch. And I was like, really? Last two, And it says, you're a worm. I mean, come on guys, this, this movie's something. I, I gotta see it again. Dave.
0: This is pretty
1: remarkable. Leading our buzz count, you know what? Dave's all bed and kitchen. <laughs> Jesus. All right, I think I think we've talked this down.
0: Oh God,
1: Dave, our resident uncle. But no, I can't make. That's terrible. That's terrible. Um, although it is, it is very interesting that the the lady who plays Julia, Stefania Santrelli, um, she got in a very serious relationship when she was sixteen with somebody who was twenty eight, uh, and she had her first kid at eighteen with him when he was thirty. Um, and that was before this movie, so it is very interesting that uh, I'm not saying that her characters have a parallel to incest or anything like that. But um, the the youthful thing, it's it's an education that I'm glad we don't do anymore, of course. But it's I wonder I wonder if Bertolucci knew that when he cast her.
0: Hmm. Very possible. Because you know these directors the back then were fucked different.
1: They were fucked up back then. They did shit like that.
0: Yeah. She was like a sex sure.
1: icon when she was like 15 because that's how weird things were in the 60s. And anyway, very interesting. What a way of finishing 60s? out our segment. Are you kidding
0: yeah. me? Uh, Britney Spears, uh, every fucking pop singer that yes. has ever yes, fucking lived. Yes, yes. We, we yes, do it yes. here. But going to be too puritanical. No, I
1: know, I know, I know. In film, you know, like the Blue Lagoon and all those stories that you hear Romeo and Juliet. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: We keep it to VH1. All right, let's do it. That's right. <laughs> all right,
1: people. We're going to be taking a little bit of a break. So we're yeah, gonna do what you've been watching. Yeah. Are we? Are we still gonna spin, or do you think our first week back is gonna be catching up with some of these films, guys? No, let's I air say, it out. I say we spin it. All right, we we're spin. gonna. Yeah, we're spinning. Spin? All right, let's do spin it. In the wheel. Back to the 1900s. 1960. Ooh. Nice. 1965. You know, when the six was spinning, I didn't know if it was a six or a nine. Yeah, I know, right? I didn't know if it was going to be 1990s or 1960s. Okay, 1965. As always, people, we're not just going to sit here and Google what was going on that year. So we are going to finish out our episode with a quick round of what you've been watching, take a brief pause, and then wrap us up with the film we'll be discussing in three weeks' time so you can watch along with us. Dave, we'd like to start with you with what you've been watching. You want to give us some recommendations? Well,
2: uh while i was uh doing some flying i downloaded i finally got on the the bandwagon for sweet tooth which is a dc comics adaptation um i don't think it's for everyone but it's definitely very well production designed and a a decent story so far i'm about four episodes in it's not bad and also i watched my new favorite thing to watch at christmas marvel's hawkeye
1: oh you did did (laughs) i did a rewatch
2: because it's all set at christmas and it's it's amazing but yeah Uh, I I did a rewatch. It's still fun. Um and about halfway through it, my wife walked in. She's like, Are You watching Hawkeye? And I'm like, Yeah, and she sat down and didn't move for three episodes. <laughs> nice. It was uh, right. it was fun. We we just kicked back and watched Hawkeye on the couch.
1: John?
0: I uh, re- we rewatched um The Holiday. Um uh, mm-hmm. and we did um God, we did one more and I can't fucking remember. But yeah, The Holiday, Nancy Myers. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of it. Heard of it? Touching, I watched the recent little self, film. Yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty good. How about you? You can
1: just, you can, ju- I can just feel the money in that movie. I just
0: <laughs> every Nancy Myers movie. There, nobody <laughs> doesn't have money in the Nancy Myers movie. They're all loaded. Loaded.
1: <laughs> uh, I've seen a couple things. I saw Past
0: Lives last night. Past Ooh. Lives. You had, um, already, you had already seen it, though, right? No. Why would I see that? Oh, well, because I was. Raving about it. I know. I watched it
1: yesterday for the first time. Did you like it? I liked it a lot. I'm not going to rave about it as much as you. I don't think. I love the tension in okay. it. Um I think the scene in the middle with the two with the the husband wife, where the husband was basically explaining who he is in the story. I, that lo- I like. Lo- it lost me a little bit. I don't know why. I, I just mm-hmm. I was kind of like ah, I get it, but it felt like a writer writing, and I just it felt didn't. Felt the writing. Know. Yeah,
0: sure, sure, sure. Um, but
1: yeah. but and and I liked it. I don't know. Angela and I had some good conversation. <laughs> Is that me? Fuck yeah. Angela and I had some good conversation about. Uh, I mean, it's weird, you know. She's married and she has a husband, and here's this guy that's clearly like come here to be. It's just like an awkward situation. I love the awkwardness. I'm like, yeah, let's let's go. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's it was very simple and it was a good it was a good indie film for sure. I don't think it's the best movie of the year, but it was very very touching, very moving, and I felt the tension. Um, I started Monarch. I started *Monarch Legacy* of monsters, and I love that. I've, you know, all the Godzilla content coming out at once is pretty fun. But I, I have really enjoyed what I've seen so far. It's so diverse, the, *Different Too*. Um, I we watched most of the first season of *You*. I guess we watched a lot of stuff this week. So I'd never seen *You* before. Angela liked it, so we watched a decent amount of that, and I like it. I like it. It's I've cool. Never seen it either. Mm-hmm. Me and either. Then of co- And then of course we finished *The Crown*. Ah!
0: Oh, I still haven't seen it yet. Oh God, I'm so excited. Part two. So excited. Yeah.
1: Uh, I won't say anything about it. I I love it. I think I probably would have ended it a little differently, but, you know, everybody's going to say that. Peter Morgan knows how to end his own series. Um, Yeah. I love what they did with William. They're pretty pretty fixed in the ending. Um, Well, I mean, the story's not... You know, it's sort of like 2007 when they decided to end the series. And so... I'll just say I, I think she walks back in the room. In my version, that's all I'll say. You don't know what that means. I think she walks back in the room, and I don't need the blatant mm. nostalgia. I think they would already layered it on enough. I, I don't know. I would have done it a little differently. That's all. Um, mm. But but I love I love so much of it. I love so much of it, and they did. They, that's a the
0: series that I, I can't wait to rewatch binge that entire series. It's really it's fantastic. Be remarkable to just. Whoosh,
1: an episode would end we'd be like, really this true. is fucking fantastic. I know everybody loves succession, but this is this really has been like a gold standard of of television for the past six years. I thought I think it's especially fantastic. for
0: Netflix. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of their best shows they've made since dare I say House of Cards. I mean very you know, game of I mean that, but.
1: Very, very Game of Thrones, like where you have your episode of the week, but then it all fits into this larger story. And then they had to break it for Diana, where they had like a four-episode arc, they had a six episode, you know, they did they had to mix it up a little bit, but like you still have this episode is this but it fits into the timeline and the narrative and it tells the big, I, I, it's a very oniony, very, like a lot of mm. concentric circles, every episode and it, it's fantastic. I just think it's, I think it was awesome. All right. nice. right. Um, we're gonna take a two second break here people so we can talk about what we're gonna be watching in a couple weeks and um, then we'll finish out our episode. So stay with us for a minute. Let's do it. And we're back all right we're back. we're back we have decided 1965 what a year that we was got. a hard
2: that was a hard contest
1: yeah and um it took us a while it took us a while to make our choice yeah yeah because you guys didn't want to do the sound of music you bastards you heartless heartless bastards
2: well <laughs> i just didn't want to be foot tapping the whole way through and earworming myself and you know all right.
1: So who wants to announce? Also, I do dis- know how
2: to solve a problem like Maria.
1: Oh, you, I'll uh, let it stand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because we're booing. Because we're booing. All right. John, you've seen the series already. Dave and I are going to be first timers to this. So why don't you go ahead and make the announcement? What are we watching in early You're 2024?
0: Watching, we're watching the second of the Gunslinger series by Sergio Leone for a few dollars more. This is the Clint Eastwood fistful of dollars for a few dollars more good and bad the ugly trilogy this is the second one so this is the empire strikes back
2: yeah of the gunslinger we are watching the few dollars more
0: fuck you dude. the few <laughs> dollars speaking more. of dead horses
1: <laughs> um do you guys remember um when pretty recently when um the shadow of the dog the face of the dog the fucking dog the isle of the dog what was that
0: it? i was trying to remember the, the name of that the other night too <laughs>
1: Do you remember when Sam Elliott was basically like, because it was a homosexual story, which by the way, not the first homosexual love story that they were like, whoa, this doesn't look like those American Westerns from the past. And it's like, yeah, remember when Westerns were not made in America? Oh, The Way of the Dog? Yes, that's right. The Way of the Dog. Anyway, here we are back in Italy for this. The Way of
0: the Dog? Is that what it's called?
1: No, wait, no, (laughs) it's not the Way of the Dog. The shadow of the dog, the eye of the dog, the power of the dog, the shit. The, vi-
2: the, visa, the Vista, the Vista. I was just making a doggy style joke. I just... just... Get the fuck out
0: of here. Oh my the, God, what is the name of that movie, you guys? The Power of the Dog. Was the it The Power, Power of the dog? dog? Yes, yes. Power of the Dog. What the fuck? Power Ow. of the Dog, Way of the Fist.
1: That movie probably should have won Best Picture, and here we are,
0: not remembering. Are you saying that Clint uh, Eastwood and all the men in this movie are super flamboyant and down to clown? Is that So you're <laughs> saying? <laughs> it's wow. lonely on does... the plane.
1: He does team up with the fellow gunslinger. uh, Just you know, (laughs) we'll see. Yeah, the logline
0: of this movie exists in some satirical porn, (laughs) without a doubt, probably multiple. (laughs) But Clint is the man, as usual—the man, the myth, the legend. And these movies, I promise you guys, we're gonna have a good time. Everybody should watch at home. It's a rental. Get ready to talk to us about it. It's gonna be fun. And this is way before that. Also, AMC Plus as well.
2: It's AMC Plus too, isn't it?
0: AMC Plus,
1: Plus. yeah. And Cinemax, right? All right.
0: That was fun, Did you guys. Watch one. We're along taking with us. time off. You have a good yeah, like two weeks to watch it at home because we're not going to be back until second week of January, I think. Yeah, some yeah, yeah somewhere. Yeah, somewhere in there. So happy, Hi, holidays. happy, happy holidays. Happy, happy holidays. New Year's. This was happy fun. New Year's. What a great year.
1: What a year. See you soon, right, film fans. Have fun. Hit.